This morning, I don't really know exactly where to go, but I would like you to just hold on. And it's almost like I would like to tell you to put on a seatbelt this morning because we're on a joy ride. We don't know where we're going to go. We don't know where we're going to end up, but we're going to end up somewhere. And I really feel in my heart that no matter where you are at in life today, is that God has a word for you. But here's the deal. You have to be expecting you have to desire a word. Because it's often times that we come into church and, you know, I don't know if it's just my heart, but when I come into church, I do expect to meet with Jesus. I do expect to hear something from His word. And then I've heard it from an old Baptist uh, minister that's still around and he said this to his congregation, which is a large congregation. He said, listen, God can use me, but He can also use a donkey to speak. So it doesn't matter who he uses, he uses people as a vehicle to get his message across. If you don't believe me, talk to Balaam when you get to heaven. If Balaam's in heaven, not for sure about that one. But my point is, is that God does have a word for us this morning. And as we've been looking at the book of Nehemiah, we're in chapter 5, and we're going to look at the wrongs made right this morning. Oftentimes we want to skip the, the point of social justice and, and skip over what it means to be a believer and how to take care of those around us. And I'm not really for sure how I'm going to hit on that this morning, but I'm going to. Because I think we are at a time in our nation and in the Christian church that we are having to face some real truths of our past. And so with that, I'll time out. And let's say a prayer together. Father God, I thank you so much for your word. And Lord, last week we looked at the book of Hebrews just for a moment and said that the scriptures were as a testament to us on how to live and the examples that were, were that, from people that have gone before us. And Lord, so when we're looking at the book of Nehemiah, we see something here. We see a great leader, one of the better leaders in the Bible. And God, there is so much in this book for every one of us. There's so much in your Bible for every one of us. And I just pray this morning that you would speak to us. Lord, we could desire to hear But Lord, without you allowing us to hear, we can't hear. So I ask you, Holy Spirit, to come, to help us, to help me, to go in the direction that you would want us to go this morning. And Lord, to give up things that aren't of you, the things that are far from you, would you allow us to give up this morning in order to see you in order to walk with you in unbroken fellowship. I thank you for the cross this morning. Thank you for the new covenant through your blood that never gets old. And thank you for your resurrection, Jesus. Thank you, Lord. In Jesus' name, amen. You know, you don't always know how to start a sermon, but any good preacher will start a sermon with a story. So I've been told. You that are parents or grandparents, you know what it is to give a gift to your child. 
say just an example. I was thinking about it. I'm a simple person. I was thinking about giving one of my children a pack of gum. I've got, I don't have large pocketfuls of money, but I have enough to buy lots of gum. I give my child a pack of gum. And of course, he's, she, he, she has three others to share with. And you all know this. It doesn't take a child long to know what selfishness is. And to what sharing is. And so that child opens up the pack of gum and is looking at all the sisters, brothers, whatever it is. Puts that gum in his mouth and just, mmm, this is good. Mom or dad are standing there watching their children, their child, wondering what they're going to do as the other three are chomping at the bit for a piece of gum. And you know, I'm thinking in my heart, I'm not saying that my children do this, but I have had others, maybe they do. I've had circumstances where I sit back and I think, man, child, I've got a lot of money that I could go to the store and provide you with 10 packs of gum. Just share your gum. And then you have to talk the child through the process saying, come on, just share your gum. And then you pry it from their fingers. But you teach your child, hey, I'm given, it will be given to you. Pressed down, shaken together, and even running over. Just share. And the truth is, they probably know mommy and daddy won't buy them another pack of gum. But that's not our God. And it's not because we don't want to bless our children, it's because they don't think of it. But they know, or they're learning to trust us as parents. That we have their best interest at heart. So to teach, to teach them to share is a good thing. And so this morning, I was joking about the offering halfway because it almost feels like, man, we could take the offering up after this and hopefully you would give a little more. And you know, ministers had to be really careful about how they preach about giving because you think that we just want, want, want. But the true thing is that we have a giver that owns a cattle on a thousand hills. And he wants to provide uh, the, his children's needs. And so when we're looking at the book of Nehemiah 5, and so please go there, I want to look at three points this morning. And point number one is going to be the, disobedient, the disobedience of the believer. The second point is going to be the obedience of the believer. And the third is the example of the believer. And honestly, as I was studying through the book of Nehemiah 5, I see a really cool thing happening. And I hope that you will see it with me today. In your bulletin, you'll see in the middle part, there's also a study that you can go to in Right Now Media by Dr. Michael Youssef that will give a whole nother slant to Nehemiah 5. 
talking about riches, the haves and the have-nots, and he does a great job. But I'm not going to go there this morning. I'm going to go somewhere else for us. And we saw last week that discouragement is a real thing. That Satan is real and spiritual warfare is real. And I didn't mention it this last week, but encouragement is spiritual warfare. Did you know that? Encouragement is spiritual warfare. Why do I say that? Because the father of lies is constantly bombarding people, discouraging them. And so when you come across with an encouraging word, you are shutting off the lies of the enemy for an individual. And that's why I don't apologize that I have the gift of encouragement. But this morning, we're going to see that again the people are discouraged. And you see, we saw, we're looking at Nehemiah and we're thinking, he has taken on something that is going to change the nation of Israel. And he didn't have to. He didn't have to go to the broken walls. He could have stayed as the cupbearer to the king and been just fine. But he had concerns and remember he fasted. He prayed and repented for the sins of Israel and he also took on the sins of Israel himself and asked for forgiveness. And you see, I think we are at a time in our nation when I timed out, I want to cover this just for a moment because there's a point. I think we are at a break, uh, 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 watershed moment for our nation. And it's going to add, I don't want to veer too much into politics, but I see something happening that has opened up a can of worms, and that is systematic racism. Not only systematic racism within our nation, but within the church. And as I'm praying through this and asking, Lord, where I am to go, this is the one area that just I can't let go of this morning. And the church will get it right. By God's grace and His grace alone. We see the aspects of Charlottesville. And we've got this thing that is is going on with the president and different things. And the Charlottesville really unmasked an ugly part of our nation. And I know it's a small fraction, but it actually opened up a Pandora box. For us to look at ourselves. And why do I say that? Because from 1877 to 1950, over 4,000 African Americans were lynched. Christianity Today puts their whole magazine to this subject, and I'm just beginning to think, man, this doesn't affect me. This doesn't affect me. I'm not a prejudiced guy. I'm pretty cool. I just, it doesn't affect me, but it does affect me. And how do I think the church is going to get it right? It's because we're already starting to get it right. We're realizing that there was a great injustice done and continues to happen and we're asking God for forgiveness. 
And if this doesn't concern you, it should. So, that was sermon number one. Let's go on to sermon number two. And there is a point to that. So let's read. Nehemiah 5, 1 through 5. Now there was a great outcry of the people and of their wives against their Jewish brothers. For there were those who said, We, our sons and our daughters, are many. Therefore let us get grain that we may eat and live. There were others who said, We are mortgaging our fields, our vineyards, and our houses, that we might get grain because of the famine. Also, there were those who said, We have borrowed money for the king's tax on our fields and our vineyards. Now our flesh is like the flesh of our brothers, our children like their children. Yet behold, we are forcing our sons and our daughters to be slaves. And some of our daughters are forced into bondage already. And some of our, um, and we are helpless because our fields and our vineyards belong to others. What they're basically saying here is that we have nothing to repay back. It's all been taken from us. And so we see in, in verse 2 that they were hungry. We see in verse 3 that they were having to sell their possessions because of a famine to get grain. And number verse 4, they had to pay the taxes to the king. You see, and why is this so important for us today? And how is it that we can look at Old Testament Scriptures and actually apply it to where we are today? It's because the children of Israel were doing this against their own people. So we can look at it as in this state is that the church may be doing something to the, their own people. Their brothers and sisters in Christ. That's how we can make this scripture practical. But there's also redemption. There's hope in these scriptures. You see the children of Israel walking in disobedience because they weren't following God's laws. If you go to Exodus 21 verses 2 through 6 with me. And we should have it on the screen, but if you want to read it through your Bible, that would be awesome. God says this. If you buy a Hebrew slave, He shall serve for six years. But on the seventh, he shall go out as a free man without payment. If he comes alone, he shall go out alone. If he is uh, is the husband of a wife, then his wife shall go out with him. If his master gives him a wife and she bears him sons or daughters, the wife and her children shall belong to her master and he shall go out alone. But, if the slave plainly says, I love my master, my wife, and my children, I will not go out as a free man. Then the master shall bring him to 
God. Then he shall bring him to the door or the doorpost, and the master shall pierce his ear with an awl, and he shall serve him permanently. You see what was happening in Nehemiah's time is they weren't walking this out. You see, there is no justification for modern day slavery. There is no justification for it. Because the slavery slavery we see in the Bible is totally different. At least from the Old Testament perspective. And from God's law. You see, what would happen in Old Testament times is the people, if they couldn't pay their debt back, they would sell themselves into slavery until that debt was paid, and then they would go free. But, if they didn't go free at year six, seven, they were given freedom to go. So it wasn't like what we see today. And what we know of our history is a people that was taken from another land to serve, not paying a debt back, but to furthering the cause of greed and building of a nation. Now I can hear some of you say, where is he going? I don't know. So just hang with me. Because there's just some things that you can't let go. So go to Leviticus 25 with me. Verses 35 through 40. And I'm laying a foundation for the sermon. Now in a case... A countryman of yours becomes poor and his means with regard to you falter. Then you are to sustain him like a stranger or a sojourner that he may live with you. Do not take interest, usurious interest from him. But revere your God, fear your God, that your countryman may live with you. You should not give him your silver at interest, nor your food for gain. I am the Lord your God who brought you out of the land of Egypt, to give you the land of Canaan and to be your God. And if a countryman of yours becomes so poor with regard to you that he sells himself to you, You shall not subject him to a slave's service. He shall be with you as a hired man, as if he were a sojourner. He shall serve with you until the year of Jubilee. Now why am I going to the Old Testament? It's because we have to question ourselves Is the love of money that important? And who are we living for? So this is where I am going to hit on finances just for a bit. 
is you see, I believe God gave these laws in the Old Testament for a reason. And He was saying that if you treat your fellow man and woman as with respect and not enslave them, I will bless you. I will provide all your needs. That is what He is saying here. And not only is he saying that through the scriptures I read to you, but there are so many other scriptures in the Old Testament with regard to this that we don't have time to look at it. But what God is saying in the simplest of form is trust me in this. Trust me that I will provide for you. Trust me that money is not that important. Now, do we have to have money to sustain ourselves? Yes. Do we have to have money to buy food? Yes. But even that, doesn't Jesus challenge the believer not to worry what you're going to get dressed with, not to worry how you're going to put food on your table because your Father in Heaven knows what you need? And we see here in Nehemiah chapter 5, they halt the work because they were hungry and tired and had a complaint. The nobles, the elders got greedy. And they chose to put the people under slavery. And you see, I want to challenge us this morning What is important to you? If I can be honest with you this morning, because I'm way too honest about my life, is that we made a mistake and we paid a bill that we didn't need to pay. And then, not only did we do that this month, I paid my Sprint bill twice. And I want to talk to Sprint saying, do a better job at keeping track of my account. Because I don't know, and I I want to pay my bills on time. But I'm like, I look at my wife, and we're like, huh, this is going to be interesting. But I say, honey, this is awesome. She's like, what do you mean? This is terrible. I know this is awesome. Why is it awesome? Because we are going to get to see our Father in heaven provide for us in a different way. You see, what has happened here and what has happened all over the world today is that there are the haves and the have-nots. I wasn't going to go there, but did you know that there are third world countries that are getting so much help from the outside countries? Millions and billions of dollars are being poured into poor countries. But those poor countries, 80% of those are having to pay back debt far more than what they are receiving. It's an injustice. And it's a world system that we live in. But the church isn't meant to live like this. The church is meant to live like we have a God who can provide all our needs according to His riches and glory. And so it goes on. Let's go on to point number two because you guys want to be out of here. But the Packers play at 7.30, so we're okay. We're good. We're good. Number two is the obedience of the believer. So we see point number one is there's disobedience. 
They weren't living according to the Word of God. And you see, today there are some of us in this church and that we know that aren't living according to the Word of God. And if that is you this morning, you are in the greatest of places this morning. Because you are going to see something awesome through the book of Nehemiah. So here's what Nehemiah goes on to say. And we'll just do the first six and seven. Then I was very angry when I heard their outcry and these words. I consulted with myself and I contented with the nobles and the rulers and said to them, You are exacting, exacting usury, each from his brother. Therefore, I held a great assembly against them. How many of you sometimes get angry? Uh, sh- come on, make me feel better. All right, some of you are perfected saints. Praise God. Nehemiah got very angry at the injustices that he was seeing. And in Ephesians 4.26, we'll have it on the screen, and I'll read it from there with you. I think. Alright, I guess I'll turn. There it is. Be angry, and yet do not sin. Do not let the sun go down on your angry anger and do not give the devil an opportunity. So we see something here that Nehemiah wanted to do something. He saw an injustice. He became very angry. But here's what I like about the stoic and wise loving leader of Nehemiah. In verse 7 it says, I consulted with myself. He gave his, himself Self-advice. How many of us fall short of just stopping and giving ourselves self-advice in the midst of our troubles? It's one of the last things we do. But we see through Nehemiah, this is what he always did. He always prayed to the God of heaven for wisdom. He never stopped doing this. And see, what a theme is for us, could be this morning, is so often we make our problems way bigger than the God we serve. And I am constantly having to advise myself, is saying, listen, God is bigger than your problems. God is big. And then we'll go on to verse 8 and 9 of Nehemiah. I said to them, we according to our ability have redeemed our Jewish brothers who were sold to the nations. Now who, now would you, uh, you even sell your brothers that they may be sold to us? Then they were silent and could not find a word to say. Again, I said the things which you are doing is not good. Should you not walk in the fear of God because of the reproach of the nations, our enemies? And this is one of those preacher moments, these evangelist moments to say, I got you, sucker. You have nothing to say. And that's what's happened here. 
Nehemiah confronts the nobles and the elders and said, Listen, what you are doing is wrong. And they couldn't say a word. They were silent. And then it goes on to say, You're being no different than the nation." What you are doing is no different. You are acting like the world. But I have called you to something else. And then I could ask us this morning in a kind and gentle way. Can the world tell that you are a believer? When you're out in the community, when you're driving your car, when you're working, can the world tell that you are a servant of Jesus Christ? And if not, I want you to be silent right now just for a moment. And I want you to know that it is okay. I have some help for you this morning. How do you respond when someone confronts you with sin? You see, sin is real and we are to be holy as God is holy. And then we ask the question as we've been talking about several times on a Wednesday night, do we lose our salvation when we sin? And I will say this morning, no. But you can grieve the Holy Spirit of God. Ephesians 4.30 says this. As a believer, we can grieve the one who lives inside of us. But there's good news. There's good news for us. You see, because what goes on in Nehemiah as we read this morning... And I want to encourage you, when God confronts you with your sin, be of good cheer. Be of good cheer. Why can I say that? Because that means He's working in your life. That means that God has not left you to your own device. And so often we want to say, God, stop, you're bothering me. You know, I know I'm sinning, but I can't break loose, just stop. Instead, God is saying to, in His kindness and compassion, He's taking His child. And you may call this sick, but I call this love. He's putting His finger on that sin, and He's not going to let us go until we deal with it. Now, you can choose to say, God, no, but I want to encourage you this morning to say yes. Because it's good. And if you are struggling with sin this morning, I want to give you courage. So let's go on and read verses 10 through 13. And likewise, I, my brothers, and my servants are lending the money and grain. So he's saying it's not bad to lend. We're doing that. Please, though, Let us leave off this usury, the interest. Please give back to them this very day their fields, their vineyards, their olive groves, and their houses, also the hundredth part of the money and of the grain, and the new wine and the oil that you are exacting from them. 
Then they said, We will give it back, and we'll require nothing from them. We will do exactly as you say. So I called the priest and took an oath from them that they would do according to this promise. I also took out of the front of my garments and said, Thus may the God shake out every man from his house and from his possessions who does not fulfill this promise. Even thus may he be shaken out and emptied. And all the assembly said, Amen. And they praised the Lord. Then the people did according to the promise. I want you to know this morning that they broke the very laws of God. But something is happening right here. When confronted from their sins, they were given the opportunity to repent. They were given the opportunity to turn around and say, okay, enough is enough. And that is what they do. And I want to encourage you this morning that true repentance always causes a change in life. And there's a word called restitution that we don't like to look at, in, especially in my culture and the culture coming in society. Is restitution. And you see, when you truly have repented from your sins, you want to make those things right. I remember as a new believer and, and all the wrongs that I had done in my life just come flooding back and man, I was feeling guilty and, and I continued to go to the cross and that's why I hold this cross once in a while is just to remind me that there is forgiveness at the cross. But we turn around. And that is what the elders did. So I want to give you hope. There is always that opportunity, and I'm probably repeating myself, is to turn. Turn from our sins. And I want to give you four practical steps to stop sinning. And the first one is a novel idea. Stop. Determine to stop. And you might say, I can't stop. But I want to ask you to determine to stop. And then number two is make specific plans to correct the situation as quickly as possible. You see, true repentance for wrong inspires a desire to provide restitution in a new life. And this really goes against some teaching today. Number three is declare your plans for correction by confessing it before God and others. There's nothing like confessing your sins to a brother or sister that you trust and then walking out the process with them and being accountable to them. Fourth is realize the seriousness of the plan. Realize that God is speaking to you and that you need to make a change. And I want you to know that there is grace in change. Let's go on to point number three. This is real simple, so if Josh could come. So we had point number one, the disobedience of the believer. Point number two is the obedience of the believer when they're confronted with their sin. And number three is being an example to others. Because here's what Nehemiah did. 
in verse 14 through 19. Moreover, from the day that I was appointed to be their governor in the land of Judah, from the twentieth year of the thirty-second year of King Artaxerxes, for twelve years neither I nor my kinsmen have eaten from the governor's food allowance. For twelve years, they didn't take. But the former governors who were before me laid burdens on the people and took from them bread and wine besides forty shekels of silver. Even their servants domineered the people. But... I did not do so because of the fear of God. I also applied myself to the work on this wall. We did not buy any land and all my servants were gathered there for the work. Moreover, there were at my table 150 Jews and officials. Besides those who came to us from the nations that were around us. And that proves that even in the midst of want... They were generous. Now that which was prepared for each day was one ox and six choice sheep. Also birds were prepared for me. And once in ten days, all sorts of wine were furnished in abundance. Yet for all this, I did not demand the governor's food allowance. Because the servitude was heavy on this people. Remember me, O my God, for good according to all that I have done for this people. And so I want to leave you this morning with three things that we can apply to our lives. Is that if we are not living according to God's word, we need to turn We need to repent. This is for a new believer and an old believer alike. Number two is when you are shown your sin, don't make excuses, just confess. Because God says if you confess your sins, He is faithful and just to forgive you from your unrighteousness and cleanse you from your unrighteousness. And then third, is walk in the newness of life. And you know as well as I do that that old man or old woman will always try to rear its head. But I want to encourage you this morning to be strong and to fight the good fight. And so please stand with me. So I'd like to ask the elders to come forward in...